From the HBA Podcast Studio in New York City, welcome to The Medium Rules. I'm Alan Baldishan. It was an incredible culture. It was an incredible group of people. You're advising David Carey, who, for people who are listening who might not know that name, is really a legendary magazine executive. A legendary human. Right? Legendary human being. Mm. How difficult was it um, sort of pulling apart and building back up? You know, we had a big sales organization, a big technology organization, and a big sort of operations group. And it, it was in Canada, it was in the UK. How do you see print evolving? How do you manage that challenge? How do you keep it vibrant? I would take George Harrison's uh, All Things Must Pass. Or was that, was That's that what a was great it? choice. Yeah, and it's, it's also, a, that is also, a, it's a triple album. Thrilled to welcome Troy Young to the HBA Podcast Studio. Uh, Troy joined Hearst Corporation in 2013 as Global President Digital, and under Troy's leadership, Hearst increased aggregate traffic across Hearst's digital properties from 63 million visitors per month to 108 million. And during this period, the digital revenue saw a 75% increase. In 2015, Troy was named Adweek's Magazine Executive of the Year, an honor that recognized Troy for unifying Hearst's print and digital brands into a single, well-oiled machine whose traffic has surged, and for his development of Media OS, a combined CMS, ad sales, and data strategy tool for all Hearst properties. In 2018, excuse me, November 2018, Troy was appointed to the top job at Hearst, stepping into the position of president of Hearst Magazines. So looking forward to a uh, discussion with Troy today about his background in the agency business, his love of media, and his take on transforming Hearst and its incredible collection of brands, including L, Harper's Bazaar, Cosmo, Esquire, to name a few, into a powerhouse print and digital company for the 21st century. So, Troy, thanks very much for being on The Medium Rules. Thank and, you. And uh, looking forward to a great conversation. You know, I'm not very good with dates, um, and I was just sort of counting them up. Like, I guess that's about six months, so. Six months since you yeah, uh, since stepped November, into, the, into the top job, yeah. 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 And, and how's it going? How are the early returns in terms of... It's amazing. Of, yeah. it's, it's, um, it's the most, it, you know, I mean, I think it's one of the most stimulating jobs that a guy could have. I mean, it's got to be one of the best media jobs somebody who's a media lover could ever want. Um, and challenging, of course. It's, a, it's an amazing job if you like, you know, if you're passionate about media, if you like people, if you like systems um, yeah. and the development, and if you like change. If you're an optimizer, um, you know, I think there's businesses at different you know, life stages that, that you would focus on. But I was, you know, in this case, right. it's about invention and change, and that's why it's so exciting. Yeah, and, and obviously you, 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 you get to work with these incredible brands, with incredible great brands, legacies, great people, great, great talent. And, um, and, and actually a kind of a corporate environment that's incredibly supportive um, and um, has this, you know, really incredible history of evolution. Yeah. So, so, uh, so winding it back a little bit. Um, first, I want to take note of the fact that uh, we both went to Queens University. Uh, yeah. Well, we we won't do an oil thigh, but uh, we will. Uh, that's not the Queens in the borough, by the way. That's, that's Queens University right. in Kingston, Ontario. Thank right. you for clarifying. Right. And and I will say that you're the third Queens grad on this podcast. Oh, so excellent. I, I'm not. It's actually it's not, it's a coincidence. I'm not going for it, but. Uh, you know, we we'll might optimistically it. call it one of the Canadian Ivy Leagues. We, 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 or the, the, the Harvard of the North. Right. Um, so you started your career in Toronto as an agency person. Well, I, I started my career um, earlier than that. Okay. Um, and there's probably a good story there that I could try. Well, to let, why don't you through. why don't you sort of take us? Through well, that I mean, I think it. because I think it was foundational. I was I I you know I was a little bit. Uh, yeah, I have a, a, a first. I, I went to Queens and I was studying like philosophy and economics and right. a bunch of different things. And, and I was I, doing English lit, just for the record. So it, similar right. idea. And my dad at the time was very sick, and um, he said to me, and he had invested a lot, kind of getting me out of this this kind of toxic uh, environment that was uh, Regina, where I lived in Saskatchewan. Oh. And he said, and I went away to boarding school, and <clears throat> so he was sort of invested, and he said. Um, you should be in a professional program. You should be in a professional program. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I moved. I, I moved into the, the commerce program, okay. and I, um, you know, so I, you know, I was figuring, you know, this is as good a place to be as any. 
And so I have a, you know, I got a, I got a BCom from Queens in, in the business school and have a, you know, a focus on, on finance and economics, which I always liked. And I was able to dabble in, in you know, philosophy and other classes. And so I, I liked a lot. But I, I didn't really know. I mean, he wasn't there at the end to, to, to tell me, you know, you should focus on, you know, getting into a consulting firm or you should get ready for graduate school or you should. Here are the paths that are available. I, I didn't have no that either. idea. Yeah. And so, you know, I can relate. I, 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 er, a little bit before that, actually in Kingston, I, I decided the only way that I can make money if I just want to be enterprising is to be a waiter. Because I always thought, you know, it's cash. I can talk to people. So I got a job at Shea Piggy. You're kidding. And, uh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I was, wow. I was kind of a, what I consider classic a classic Kingston restaurant. Yeah. For alumni, started especially. in the kitchen, got to the floor, became, you know, and I was a really good bad waiter, right? Which is you could have, I'd make sure you had a good time, but I, you know, I wasn't always. But, I, but the but the plates were on the, the well, wrong and, dish and with I the no wrong one, dish. I never, I never went up through the ranks. I was never trained. It was like the story of my right. life. I just kind of threw myself into it. So anyway, I didn't know what I was gonna do, and um, I moved to Toronto, and where I had some friends, and I was waitering at a restaurant called the Amsterdam. And, oh, and it was a, it was a, it was a. Did you know a Mike? Very, my friend, my good, very good friend, Michael Grange, was there. At I that have time. no memory from okay. that period of my life. That's really. that's okay. So um, I know. But well, what I remember is very hot know, spot at the time. Uh, yeah, because the Blue Jays were hot. That's right. And it was a, you know, it yeah, was all on the, the players path, hung and, out there, right? Yeah. And I made great money, and I did my thing. And one night I was at a table, and I, you know, I would often get in a conversation with a guy, and I'm like, I got to get out of this job. I can't take it anymore. And he said, Well, what are you doing? I said, Well, I have a business degree. I'm really good at finance, blah blah blah. And and he said, Well, you should come talk to me. And I said, Absolutely, I will. So I followed up with him, and I and I and he was uh, you know mid level guy or something okay. at, at Nortel. And I became a financial analyst at Nortel. You're kidding. And I had this old Volvo. I would drive to uh, to Nortel every day, and I felt like you know the, it was like, it was just million soul, bucks. Soul, well, uh, oh, for a okay. moment. I've, the thing I liked best when I started is I worked a lot of hours, yeah. and I would get free Swiss Chalet at night because if you stuck around, you could expense it, and I loved that. Great perk. And I was analyzing like mainframe investments and looking at uh, you know a lot. It was a financial job. And I, I knew the great thing about that, that, that journey was I knew that I, that wasn't my place and um, that there had to be, you know, more problems that were more interesting to me that I, that I could solve. And so um, my, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, was in Montreal. She was studying theater. And uh, I moved to Montreal. I started graduate school at McGill studying economics because I didn't know what else to do. Right. In between, there was some traveling and such. And while I was there, I ended up started doing design, and I did design at a at a hip uh, newspaper in Montreal called the Montreal Mirror, which was like the the sort of village voice of, or the, of now Montreal, magazine. Or the now magazine yeah. Montreal. Yeah. And I and I thought this is this is incredible. Like media is you know left right brain. It's an incredible thing to do. And I you know I I did all kinds of jobs when I was there, from design to you know, distribution to new projects to, to just everything, creating a book. And um, at the time, we started this project on what was called at the time a BBS, uh, uh, like a, it was like a, your own version of AOL billboard system. Okay. It sort of just slightly predated the internet. Um, or adoption of the internet and um, we would put our content on there and sell the service to people and they could get an email address from us and they could communicate with one another and we probably had a thousand members and I just thought this is fascinating and I remember there's a friend of mine named Al who was the publisher and owner of the paper and uh, shortly after that we had our first child my Jillian and I at a pretty young age and she said uh, and I'm like I gotta do something like what am I doing yeah. I'm like maybe, I'm in maybe Montreal make some money here, you yeah. know I, and and I gotta make some money and you know he said you should focus on what you love which is the intersection of digital stuff and media, media stuff tech, yeah. and um, and I thought that was a pretty good thesis yeah. and uh, I went to Toronto and Good timing also. Yeah, good timing at Toronto. I I had a a short uh, stint at CTV. Okay. And then I started in the agency world. And um, I rose up very, very quickly because I kind of could figure out the vocabulary of that world. And I had a specialist skill in the area of digital that they needed. And so very early on, I, by the time I was, I don't know, 28, I was running an agency. I was running a, a, or maybe, well, a direct and interactive marketing agency, and then I ran this agency in Canada called Organic. Yeah. 
And <clears throat> it was, you know, an amazing gig. That was just when um, the, this new category of agency emerged, which was a kind of digital... Interactive. Thing. Interactive At agency. The time, it would did, have been... Did yeah. basically, uh, you know, digital development, web development, and web yeah. marketing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's kind of where that journey started. Yeah. Um, and who were your clients? Uh, well, if you, if you're in Canada, yeah, if you're in Canada, your clients are always the same. So they're, well, if, if they're not beer, they're, they're the banks. Yeah. Um, or you might have an insurance company, you might have a lottery, you definitely have a telco if you have a real business. So you gotta have, you know, one of the banks, you gotta have a telco and maybe you have an, an, an automotive or a beer company. Yeah. And you might do packaged goods, but, you know, that's really what you need in okay. Canada. And uh, so our clients were largely the banks and telcos, and uh, we had a nice little business. And and how did you go from there to, how did you end up in New York? Well, what the thing that? about being, I don't know how you felt about it, but, you know, I, 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 I'm, I you know, identify as a Canadian. I, I really love Canada. And, Same. But it, it always so. felt like I was really itchy to get out because I felt like in media in particular, it was a bit of a farm team. And the problem was is that I worked, you know, very closely with all my colleagues in New York and San Francisco. And, you know, there was less original work in Canada. The budgets were one-tenth. There was, as a result, less opportunities for creativity and scale. And one of the great things about America is it's a scaled market. And uh, so so I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I was always kind of, you know, ambitious, you know, in terms of what I wanted to do. And so uh, Jill and I, uh, I, you know, and I, had, I worked in New York a lot. So uh, we, we put our kids in the car and we came to New York. Did you have a job here or you were just like, yeah, we're I, I, I originally worked for, for Omnicom in, in, in New York and for one of Omnicom's companies. And, um, you know, I had a, I was the head of the strategy creative organization and, um, yeah, that was my first job. So then you joined Say Media, or you really ran well, Say Media? I, you know, I, I did. I worked here for quite a while, and then I um, I had a friend who was a venture capitalist, and he said, "I got these amazing guys I know that have this really great video technology, and they're from Yale, and maybe you should meet up with them." And there were these three incredible guys, one of whom I you know works with me at Hearst today, actually runs uh, an automotive business for me, uh, and uh, and I just thought these. You know, if I I want to get off of the and I did services for a long time and I I thought it would be fun to build something, so uh, w- they had this this technology in this company called Video Egg that was really oh, an er- er- early stage sure. video company, yeah. and we started building it and it grew like crazy and we lived in Jill and I and the kids lived in San Francisco and we were there for seven years and. Um, and uh, and eventually we started buying other companies and and the company became Say Media, which was uh, the uh. integration of a company called Six Apart and well, which was one of the early blogging platforms and uh, and the Say Media video technology yeah. and then we bought some content companies and yeah. So that's really that's really the beginning of what was then kind of called Internet 2.0. Um, well, it was we, certainly the beginning of the video yeah, explosion. We, yeah. at that time, uh, represented Blip.tv. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those guys? Mike Kudak. Mike Kudak, yeah. yeah. Still a, a good friend of mine. Yeah. Great and, uh, I mean, you know, that was pre-Great Guy. Yeah. That was sort of as YouTube was just starting up. Right. And we were sort of always kind of, <laughs> sounds funny now, but viewed them as a rival. Then they got acquired by Google. And right. Well, off they went right. um, and buried everyone else. But right. uh, So then from 2006 to 2013, you were running Say Media? I was the president of Say Media. You were, you were, you were the president of Say Media. Yeah. So, so I guess in, in that period, um, what sorts of, I guess, what would you kind of characterize as the tentpole changes in that business? Um, well, I mean, in that business, you know, we I think we made – we, it was an incredible culture. It was an incredible group of people. The, the founder that stayed on, Matt Sanchez, is this gentleman that I work with now, was an amazing guy. I mean, these, it, was, it was a really, really great time. Um, I think we probably drove by uh, five acquisition opportunities waiting, you know, persisting in, in, in a vision that we had to create a holistic platform for media. And so we, you know, we had a highly profitable kind of ad model and ad network that was built out of Video Egg, and then we bought a publishing platform, and then we started to add small 
brands uh, like contact. small brands like we bought a company called a, a terrific uh, design brand called Remodelista okay. and we bought a technology blog and you know we bought uh, uh, blogs in the pet space and yeah. we started to, to, to put to them aggregate. together yeah. yeah and at the same time you know we were doing it there was another company in San Francisco that had done you know some similar things called Federated Media yeah. it's a guy named John Patel and uh, so we, we essentially said you know listen we're going to reinvent the content creation piece we're going to tie the advertising platform inside of that and we're going to do it around um, you know these sort of new media brands and uh, you know it was it was amazing I mean we, we the challenge was is building up that business was was very capital intensive mm-hmm. so we you know we had a big sales organization a big technology organization and a big sort of operations group and it, it was in Canada it was in the UK and it was in um, you know and centered in the US and um, you know it was a it was a really I have incredibly fond memories of it and 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 the people and what we what we built Matt ultimately sold the company last year and uh and he came to work uh, with me at Hearst okay yeah. and I mean I think you know at that time you were probably building a lot of pieces of technology that you would now partner with Bolton it would be yeah. much less uh, you know capital intensive yeah we were trying intensive. to solve problems that you know the middle layer yeah. certainly started to solve the other thing is is that you know I think that the media brands particularly in the lifestyle space um you know were quite resilient actually um had deep deep advertiser relationships um and certainly had um real you know massive consumer recognition um and so you know i i i decided you know i started advising a gentleman named david carey that had my job before me and um you know i knew a lot about what it took to sort of transform the content creation side and the technology platform side and i always knew a lot about the ad piece so i had a pretty holistic sense of what what the business needed and it was clear to me that it was it was totally under optimized at Hearst though they had you know uh, you know it was an amazing company it just wasn't you know there were there were structural impediments to um, uh, you know really sort of accelerating the digital agenda and the, the what was started to annoy the company I think is that you know competitors were, were, were getting traction like startups that were really focused on digital and digitally and native digital brands, native media, like a media, taste made like or, a taste made or refinery 29 yeah, or 29, you know yeah, you know uh, others like that yeah. um pop sugars etc yeah, yeah. uh, and um you know i i knew you know essentially what their formula was i was an advisor to pop to or to to refinery 29 and amazing amazing guys again and uh I just, you know, I just, you know, I said to David, there's, there's a better way to do this. And, um, we, we essentially had to really think very differently about the structure of the organization and sort of admit what the, the, you know, how kind of old orthodoxies were getting in the way of, of progress. And it wasn't the brands and it wasn't, you know, the, 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 the legacy of those, the, you know, that they couldn't connect with a new generation. It was, you know, how we were approaching internally, te- structurally, organizationally. Yeah, how we were pro- approaching con- content creation, how we were approaching technology, the kind of culture that we built that connected, you know, a technologist, an operations person, audience development person, and a, you know, content creator that would allow us to grow audience and build a more meaningful advertising business around it. I mean, since then, the, the business has matured in a million ways. And, you know, the, the breadth of things that we're doing, you know, today digitally is bananas. But the um, that's really how it started. Yeah. And I mean, so, so, so then just staying on that. So you're advising David Carey, who, for people who are listening who might not know that name, is really a legendary magazine executive. A legendary human. Legendary human being. Mm. I mean, impressive guy. Yeah. Um, he brings <clears throat> you in in 2013 to run digital. Yeah. Um, one of the first things... Well, originally to advise. Okay. Yeah, and then start working with the team, and then, you know, he's really testing me, and then eventually <sighs> run digital. Yeah. So you pass the test, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and one of the first thing you do uh, in there um, is you split apart the digital and the print sales teams, sales and marketing, and, and basically separate that out, as I understand it. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, one of the first, I mean, there, was, there were many pieces, but we, we did cha- make a lot of changes to the, the, the digital sales organization. 
one of the first things that, that, that I noticed or that we had to do was really radically change the ad product sort of offering. Um, there was an enormous catalog of ad products. Um, there was tremendous fragmentation of environments across the portfolio. That, there, that led to tremendous complexity in how you ran an ad, how you sold an ad, how you, you know, reported back to the advertiser on its effectiveness. That created, you know, real operating problems. And, you know, I knew that we needed, you know, a different focus in, in sales. We needed a, 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 a stronger sort of organizing ad pro or a, a, a stronger ad product capability. And at the time, the, the, the industry was making a bit of a shift from the world of kind of banners to, to branded content. So we needed to build, you know, a branded content studio. We needed to create a way to distribute branded content across our portfolio of sites. And, and we had these nagging issues where we had literally hundreds of templates. So anything that you wanted to do was very, very difficult to optimize because you, you, you were just spending so Virtually much time bespoke. just managing every, like every ad insertion. You couldn't, you couldn't get scale across your properties. So uh, we embarked on a kind of a, you know, a, a path to, to, to completely rebuild our platforms. And I had met a guy, we had bought this company um, before, before my time in the UK called Digital Spy. And there was this amazing young entrepreneur that had built a very, very nimble little CMS to support his hobby, which was you know publishing pop culture content. And I found him uh, and said, I need you. And we started with that platform rebuilding. We had this enormous kind of complex platform before that didn't really work for anyone. And we started rebuilding this thing and, and uh, doing it the right way. And um, today, it's called MediaOS. Today, it is um, you know, 50, 60 microservices that all work together and are assembled to, to manage all of our properties around the world. It's not just content creation. It's all the analytics around it. It's commerce. It's, uh, it gives us an ability to syndicate content out really effortlessly. Um, it allows us to take in much more data around the consumer and really understand what they're doing. We've connected it to all of our uh, conversational systems that we use inside of the company, mostly on Slack, so that if you want to understand anything that a consumer is doing on our properties or on social media, you just tap in a question. And it's become, you know, a real, a really important part of how we run the business. And what's exciting today is, um, and, you know, I'm getting into the future now, yeah. but we also own this company called CDS. And CDS is um, uh, a company based in Des Moines uh, that manages basically all the fulfillment and transaction processing and customer service for the magazine industry. So we make sure that if, 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 if you're billing a customer for a subscription or they're calling you, um, uh, and getting the magazine out to your house. We manage that for Meredith and for Condé Nast and obviously for Hearst and, and other titles. And so inside of that is a lot of technology around how you manage a consumer. And you can see this time in the future where essentially what were once content management platforms, they become relationship management platforms. And, and I think that's tremendously exciting. So that how you get someone into a content-based relationship and do all the things that you might want to do, whether that's upsell them into a paid relationship or sell them a product or get them to an event and communicate with them through that process uh, is, is really what, what we're focused on. And is this, uh, is, is, is your MediaOS platform, that's completely proprietary to her? Completely, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And how do... How do you so, so everyone interacts with it in a different way on your teams basically, so your ad people interact with it one way, the content people, the distribution people, certainly you know all the content people and the people that are focused on like research co commerce or how we yeah. sell things. Um, certainly research uses it for sure. Yeah. Um, our ad people use it uh, yeah. and our ad operations team. So it is a it's a pretty holistic uh, piece of how technology. difficult was it. Um, sort of pulling apart and building back up. Well, that, I think that, that I mean the difficult part of it was this. I remember sitting in a room thinking um, I got there's two paths. One is to, you know, what I thought was kind of late in the cycle to build a platform. A lot of media companies have struggled doing that. Um, we had 
we didn't have perhaps as strong a technology culture as we could have at the time. Um, today it's very, very uh, modern uh, in terms of how we work and how we build, how we think about technology and data and all and machine learning and all that stuff. Okay. Um, but I had some great people, and um, the the choice was: Am I going to invest in modifying WordPress, basically, or modifying a platform called Drupal, or am I going to build something that's going to allow me to build, uh, you know, a really interesting global platform? It was a hard decision because you know we run our business really smartly. Um, you know that would have taken a lot of capital. Um, the, the the path of, of building your own, there's a lot of risk in that. And, um, Management challenges. But, but the idea of building around, I, I don't know, in my mind, the idea of building around somebody else's roadmap, when I knew that basically how I wanted to build this business, um, that, that a lot of the things that I would want to build would be very bespoke, I just felt like we had enough scale that we, we could... Uh, we could focus, we, we could build our own platform. And so what ended up happening is, you know, just by, you know, uh, force of will and um, a lot of great people, uh, we built, the you know, a company that's basically half a media company, half a technology company. And uh, and I think that'll put us in, in a good position in yeah. the future. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, about content. Um, there's been a lot written and 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 and, and a lot said, uh, not only about Hearst but but of but of the legacy print brands, companies, media companies in general. Um, it, it's a question you get all the time, I'm sure. Um, but um, how do you see print evolving? How do you manage that challenge? How do you keep it vibrant? And uh, you know, given everything we're talking about with respect to technology and digital and so on and so forth. Well, I mean, it starts with, you know, I mean, a a love of print Print. that, you know, I I grew up in a a small city and um, with a deep love of of magazines. And that was really how my world opened up. So it starts there. Um, You, you, you really focus on delivering the best product you can across all the channels and you really don't want one to, to compromise the other. Print remains, I think, really Im- an in- important refuge from the barrage of interruption that is the digital world in your mobile phone. I feel hopeful. Well, the addiction, I would say, Yeah, too. I mean, I think as oh. we, 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 we realize that, you know, it's, it plays too big a part in our life, I think that something heavily curated that takes you on a journey for, you know, half an hour or an hour is a really, really wonderful thing to make. Um, it is, you know, print is a wonderful uh, medium for editors, right? Because it's finite, and finite means you have to make choices, and great editors can make, you know, choices on the behalf of the reader and, 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 and take them on this on this journey. So I love print, and but, the, you know, the challenge is obviously what's the right amount to invest in it, and how do you manage, you know, rate base and frequency and you know investment in in that product at, at you know at a time of of change and and so i mean those are the things that we're good at and what's working with print what are you seeing is working i mean you know both with respect to content and distribution and advertising and which brands are 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 are, are you seeing that are more resilient well, we have a we have an insane portfolio of print publications. Yeah. So I think we have the best portfolio in the world, and um, you know, from you know service to fashion to enthusiast, yeah. right? And uh, you know, I I think always you know what I insist on with our team is something I called content with purpose, and and I just think that you really have to understand and work hard to understand what role you're going to play in someone's life, and and I think it's important with print too because you're competing with other choices that consumer has you know as to as far as how they spend their time. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that we have to be really data and research oriented in understanding what role you know, how, how, how well our publications do that. I mean, I think on the luxury side, um, you know, our, our titles are quite resilient uh, in that um, they serve an important role, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in, in how fashion luxury companies market and in how people consume that kind of media. Um, I think we have tremendous titles in the health space with men's health and, and women's health. 
that we acquired uh, almost two years ago now from Rodale. Excuse me, Well, the Rodale acquisition. I love our enthusiast titles in, in runner's world and bicycling. We have amazing service titles like uh, Good Housekeeping. Uh, we have, um, you know, Oprah has been a phenomenon for years. We have Esquire. We have Men's Health. I, I mentioned Men's Health. We have, uh, you know, Pop Mechanics. We have an amazing portfolio of brands. Uh, and then we have a we have a really extraordinary portfolio uh, portfolio in the men in in the auto space as well with car and driver and and road and track and then a bunch of other assets around that. Um, so uh, you know I think the 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 focus really is you know understand your audience understand the role you play you know in their in, in their lives and and I think we're really good at at packaging and selling media. I mean obviously you have to you be you know be extraordinary at that too over the years, you know, in terms of how you work with advertisers and how you bring content and data and creativity to, to, to that uh, relationship. And, and, and that's something we're really, really focused on. Are you seeing any um, shift back to print? Is there is there any um, kind of trend? You know, obviously, you know, Facebook and Google were sucking up huge amounts of advertising dollars. Um, that has changed somewhat. Um, are you seeing uh, sort of the any sort of kind of reversion back to that uh, kind of I traditional mean, you, advertising you, you, you in book hear, across property? I mean, that's a it's a complex question. You re, you certainly hear the sentiment a lot. Um, listen, our our digital business is growing like crazy yeah. uh, in the U.S. and around the world. We're really really good at it. We're really smart about our ad products and data and how we publish and all that. Um, the the you know the thing that um, you know that that Google and Facebook have created is remember that after all the you know uh, Mishigas about uh, privacy issues around Facebook, they released their numbers and their numbers were extraordinary. And w- one of the things that you have to appreciate is they have seven million advertisers. Um, one of the things that that you know both Google and Facebook has become is a resource to a really really broad swath of people that want to buy media um, because it's entire, entirely systematized. And, and so those are really resilient companies with extraordinary amounts of data. And, uh, you know, as the world has shifted from kind of media to, 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 to data, um, it has benefited them. And the way that you can buy with precision in a self-service mode has made them, you know, very resilient media businesses. So I think you hear, that, you know, from, from, from agencies and clients that they really appreciate the role we play in the media ecosystem, that, that quality content is really important, that our brands are important, that context is important. But, you know, let's be, let's be realistic about it. You know, we're, uh, you know, we're in, you know, it's a very competitive yeah. market. Yeah. How are you guys uh, using data both internally and what, what are you doing with your data? You, you, you mentioned machine learning. Um, how, how are you using that? Are you using well, that? Well, it's a, it's a crazy time uh, once you start to dig into that stuff. And, I mean, broadly speaking, you want to use, obviously, data to, to, to enhance your ad offering. And increasingly, what, what, what clients want to do is basically find their customers on your media properties. They want to match data sets. They want to understand what their customers are doing and how you're influencing them. And increasingly, data can help them get a better understanding of that. So that's just one piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that that challenges companies like ours to be much more sophisticated in how we engage with the client. Um, Certainly, data plays an enormous role in in, in supporting this idea of of content Content with purpose. And and how, I mean, you know, digital natives just, you know, they're like, well, data is just how we work, right? But, you know, data applies and and certainly the insights it creates and and, and research to how you think about your print products, as I've suggested, and, and we do that in many ways. Um, and, and we find more and more uh, quick, fast, interesting ways of getting reactions to our print products before we, before we put them on the newsstand. 
So I'm very excited about that. But um, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, really I mean, interesting. obviously, data is hugely important in how you think of how you get new customers. If you know, with 35 sure. million subscribers, um, we need to be a very sophisticated marketing organization. I think it's really important to us you know in terms of how we operate everything can be deconstructed and measured so if you look at for example the data coming off of a sales organization what products sold at what price to whom how were they pitched against what brands what was the you know what was the io value how you know like you can start to really understand where you need to put sales resource sales and marketing resource to be more systematic at it but more broadly what i'm really interested in around data and I'll get to the machine learning piece because it's a natural extension. Mm -hmm. Once you've got all this stuff, what do you do with it yeah. and how do you make it understandable? Right. Is I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in the democratization of it. See, I, I've noticed that, that when you put analyst departments between a data set or a data source and the customer, it doesn't work very well. So we would have a sort of analytical function that would power or, or, or provide the editorial teams with information. And they would send around big spreadsheets and focus on this. And focus right, on if that. you write about this, if you include that. Right, you, right. And, and, and I often found that that was ignored. And now what I'm doing is I'm powering the whole organization with a kind of question and answer uh, uh, concept to data, which is like Alexa. What's the weather outside? Alexa tells me the weather. I want to play this song. Alexa plays me a song. So if you're on our systems and you say top stories right now on L, you'll get it. Top stories right now on L, UK. Top items on Instagram. Top products sold on Bazaar today. You know, top recipe content on Delish at this moment. It'll give it all back to you. You know, best performing content over the last 18 months and on and on. So what we're doing is, is, is taking more and more data sources and make them, making them available just like Google, Google makes the internet available to you. Um, and, and it's so that's using data as a research tool in a lot of ways. Well, it's using data as broad empowerment for an entire organization, and it's bringing the query into, into the conversational interface where we're all hanging out. Because what I noticed is... Right. On the digital team that we built, it was like the hive mind, right? They were all connected. We would release code on Slack, and the editor would talk to the product manager. We were all, like, slacking all the time. And I noticed that communication was very different on in the print organization. And it's, you know, the print org was more hierarchical. Um, and, and through that hierarchy, they built stars, right? They built sort of stars as editors. Yep. And, and that was an important part of the development, the allure of the brand, and, and, and I think actually really important. Mm -hmm. And then on the I think digital, still relevant. That's in some ways what separates. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And it built these amazing brands. Yep. And then on, on the digital side, there's these, you know, kind of like maniacal behavior in the hive. And I wanted both. And so I said to myself, I'm going to move the entire company onto Slack so that we are all connected. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put data into that world, just like a phone. My phone is communication and utility, communication and applications. So now what I've got is a system that's both communication and access to information, right? So if you're a sales rep, you ought to be able to update your account on Slack. Just type in, saw Dave today, he said X, and that goes into Salesforce. Um, but, you know, if you're anybody, like, we just make it entirely transparent and available to everyone. So a little anecdote about that. Um, I remember one day when I was, you know, early on starting in, in the org, and we, we all, you know, across the organization, we have sort of this you know, brands are competitive with one another, right? So, like, Bazaar is competitive with L. And, um, in a good way, in a healthy way. Well, I mean, I think competition's always yeah. healthy, for yep. sure. Yep. And, uh, and, and what was interesting to me is they, they, at the time, they both used Chartbeat, but they would never show each other what their Chartbeat said, right? And, and I'm like, this is crazy, guys. Like, you know, so immediately I kind of unified our Chartbeat instance and I made all data available to everybody. I mean, that was a while ago. We don't, we don't even use Chartbeat anymore, but the, um, the same notion applies to what we're trying to do here. Now, on the machine learning side, this is where I'm, I'm super interested. What, I'm, what I would like to create is superhumans, right? Like, that's, that's, what, that's what's interesting to me. Super editors, super ad salespeople, superhumans. And, you know, you can take a lot of information 
and make life easier and make it, uh, a, a, an, in, an individual smarter and make them more efficient. And an example might be, um, you know, we, we can run our headlines, we can run our content through machine learning and figure out meaning from, from, from like a headline. And uh, we can start to look at what uh, articles or what pieces of content, how they performed, such that if I typed in a headline, for example, the machine could predict how well that story is going to do. You know, a future-oriented headline based on an enormous corpus of a historical performance. I could look at everything that my competitors are writing, as an example, and I could start to sort that in terms of its applicability to different brands. And I could say these ones are worth paying attention to based on historical performance on our properties. Um, we are looking at um, simple things like how much time people spend with images, certain images. And so now you can go on to the system that I was talking about and just look at the top images across the hundreds of thousands of images that we create every month and understand where people are spending more time. So there's, there's, there's so many applications of, of how you take a machine and you get it to look for patterns, yeah. and then you get it to look f to help you predict Predictive. where you, you know exactly. where where you're spending time. Yeah. And those are just a few of the ones that we're working on. So, is that something that, from your perspective, will be an internal Hearst tool, or is that something that you see as potentially creating new technology and new revenue lines for the company? Well. <clears throat> Is that something that you could then market to brands or, I mean, obviously you're using it to get better content and enhance yeah, sales, I mean, but, uh, you know. Uh, so in, I'm interested in taking that. And what we're doing is, just to give you a sense of what that looks like, we have our own data in the middle, right, which is all, we may call it a thousand, to, in the U.S., a thousand pieces of content a day. Every one of those like a flare, yeah. right? You get, you, you, you see what, on. Yeah, what how you, long but you get staying, to see what's going on. It, Everything right. is like a little hypothesis, yeah. right? And you, and we can, we can, we can start to organize that information in interesting ways. And then we can add all of social data around that, right? There's ways to, add, yeah. to start to put social data around that. And then there are third-party data sources that look at commerce, that might look at other demographic information. And you're bringing those in. And you bring those in, you start to stitch that's, it together, right? And you, 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 you then have this really extraordinary data set that you know, we're making available to our teams in really interesting ways. And essentially what we're doing is taking the role of like, you know, the social media manager and, and building that into a system, basically. So what we are is extraordinarily effective content marketers. And so I've been working on evolving this system to essentially become like a Bloomberg-like resource for fashion and luxury. I'm so convinced that the way that we're doing this in terms of combining data accessibility with you know innovative ways of stitching data sets together and then using machine learning to, to, to kind of make it sense give of you it. The predictive. Yeah, that, that it's hugely valuable to us and I think hugely valuable to many of our clients that are struggling with the same thing. Right now that we're, you know, we're obviously living in the age of data. I don't, there isn't a client I go see, whether I'm in Paris or China or Japan or the UK or obviously here in the US that isn't talking about data in some shape or form. And how they can use it. How they can to, use it to be smarter. To be smarter, and, yeah. exactly. And so I'm interested in combining our media expertise our data expertise and essentially our software expertise and creating a non-media product that is really just kind of data, uh, data and, 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 and new ways to understand and access it and, and, and build a business around that. So you must have a pretty, you must, you must have a lot of data scientists working We have there. data scientists, we have data taxonomists, we have people that work on, you know, how to make those, you know, that, that information more understandable. Um, you know, I could show, I mean, I show it to you right here. It's all, it's all available well, all the time <laughs> on any device, right? So. Well, I'll take a look, but, 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 uh, have you, what, what have been, I mean, that's a challenge to put that team together. I mean, we work with data science, data science companies that are dedicated to doing that, that struggle. Challenging to, to find the right people and put them in the right places. Yeah, I mean, always. But you know what? Uh, people, 
like passion. Yeah. And we have a lot of passionate people. And I'm not interested in um, what... I, I, I'm very respectful of what came before, but I'm interested in creating the kind of challenging environment where people can write a defining part of the, the, the chapter to their career. And so, like, I'm an intense guy, and the people that work with me are really, really smart and intense. And I think that if you are creating opportunities for people to solve problems in new ways, in ways that they're proud of, um, and that they're invested in, and that their you know their managers care, and their managers give them great feedback, there's no reason why, you know, our organization can't be as great to work at as, you know, and Google. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you know, Google, you can get like free curry and free, you know, crab legs and stuff. But like, this is this Hearst an extraordinary place to, to have a career. Yeah. And so, um, I I think that you can. I know I really believe that. I mean, I I really think beyond all the crazy perks that someone gets, what someone wants to do is feel stimulated, feel respected, get honest feedback. You know, be better and move the needle. Yeah, with the team they respect. Right. Um, I'm still at the curry and crab legs. But well, that's... I always think I was just at Google the other day, and I always think when I'm there. The first time I went there, I had I, I was like, oh my god, look at the food, the range of food this yeah. year, and I love curry, and so I went to the curry station, and I was like, this is extraordinary. And how was the curry? That. It was amazing. And yeah. then they and I looked over, and over there was like a bunch of crab laid out, and it was almost like I thought, oh my god, this is the end of the world. Um, this is, uh, it, it, it sort of brings me up to where I, where I wanted to go in this conversation, which is, you know, over the next three to five years, yeah. um, as you've outlined, there's, there's a heavy emphasis on, on, on data, yeah. uh, using data, creating products with data, using data to obviously enhance all aspects of the business. Um, do you anticipate, um, sort of sticking with the basket of titles that you have? Do you anticipate birthing new titles and new brands? How do you sort of see the business evolving from a content perspective? Well, I, lo- I mean... In I, addition to sort of the, the, I, the, the I'm always on the lookout for a great brand. Um, and uh, but, but, but I have t- 28 of them and 300 around the world, 300 editions. So, but it's really those 28 that I think we need to focus on and take care of. There's a few that, you know, we admire that might, might fit in, but, um, you know, we're, we also sort of spin, um, show based or sort of product brands out of our brands. So, um, you know, increasingly we're also a video company, right? And you make brands in video by making shows. And, and I think you'll see organic, you know, new intellectual property um, emerge there. So whether it's, you know, a show about morning beauty routines, you know, created by Harper's Bazaar, um, you know, that becomes a brand, you know, in, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, That's interesting. you know, so you start to see that we just opened a studio in Los Angeles, um, that uh, you know, we bought this company called Clever, uh, which is a young women's sort of YouTube-oriented video uh, uh, company, and we we we're, we launched a studio last week in Los Angeles, and you know we'll we'll build lots of show brands around YouTube out of that market, and and Cosmo as a brand will play a increasingly important role in in that you know in that output, um, but you know we're we have. Uh, you know, last year we, we launched a yoga mat that was just as, as an example that we had seen them selling in our properties. We had an idea about one we wanted to create. We paired it with an Alexa skill and sort of merchandise it as a smart yoga mat. And, uh, you know, that was a separate brand, but sort of brought to you by Women's Health. And so okay. we see opportunities to do that. Um we, you know, we're we're launching a, a, a you know VOD stuff that that will bring together a lot of our video content, you know, in the health space, and um, you know, we we uh, you know, or brands will emerge from our portfolio, but you know, it's really really hard to build a brand that is known around the world, you know, like like many of ours, whether that's Bazaar or Cosmo oh, sure. or Esquire or, or, or Men's Health. 
Um, so lastly, um, I understand you're a vinyl guy, and yes. I just have to ask, uh, do you have a top five Desert Island and uh, Rush, if it's on the list, gets <laughs> you bonus points as a Canadian? No, you know, I mean, if you were on an island, and if you had power and a cell connection you'd take spotify for sure you wouldn't probably have vinyl but, fair enough um but you are a vinyl guy do i, I have do that right? i have lots okay. of vinyl okay. lots of vinyl okay. i have you know i have lots of i like stereo equipment um i have uh if i was to do that i don't know i mean you might be tempted to to take records that you didn't you know know that you loved but that's pretty risky yeah i would probably i would probably take the following i would take an album by Gregory Isaacs called Night Nurse, okay. which uh, can be listened to literally thousands of times. Uh, it is one of the great reggae albums of all time. I would take um, definitely a Neil Young album, yes. uh, one called On the Beach. Uh, I would take that. In honor of my son, who's a, a fledgling musician, and uh, my wife, I would take... George Harrison, wow. uh, "All Things Must Pass," or was oh, that was that's that like a great choice? Yeah, and it's it's also a, that is also a, it's a triple album, so um, it's wonderful. It makes me think of them, and it's that's a great sleeper. Records. Yeah, that's a great album. I love that album. Yeah. I have two more. I have two more. You know what? I might take this new guy who I would encourage you to listen to that I really really like actually from Saskatchewan. I think he's one of the great musicians to come out of Saskatchewan of this, or out of Canada of this generation. His name is Andy Schaff. Don't know. And he okay. uh, he released an album last year called, we're getting a thumbs up from... From, uh, from our producer from over our there. From our producer, okay. uh, called The Party, which I thought was a great, great album. And I, I could listen to that a lot. And okay, I have good. one more choice, and that final choice would probably be it might be like the Velvet Underground, or it might be a. I'm also a big. When I was a kid, I I might take this uh, album by the Replacements called All Shook Down. Okay. And um, yeah, that would get me by for That's a couple. That's a great of list. Yeah. That's a great eclectic list. Yeah. From a true media lover. Mm -hmm. Well, listen. Thank you so much, Troy. Thanks for coming for in me. on a Friday afternoon. Appreciate it. And sharing your views and. Uh, this was a great conversation. Hopefully we'll do it again. All right. Appreciate Thanks, it. Troy. That's a wrap on this episode of The Medium Rules with Alan Baldishin. For more information, go to our website at www.hballp.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.